Hey everyone, welcome to episode 17 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. It's Memorial Day weekend, and Alex and I are here with the Burhan brothers, uh, both Charles, who's been a guest before, and his younger brother, Zeke. And uh, they've, they, are, they rival, if not exceed, our enthusiasm for the Pistons, especially lately in the analysis of our draft prospects. So welcome, guys. It's great to be here. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Uh, and so we were talking before we started recording about what we might discuss, and many things came up, and the draft is on our mind right now. Uh, so why don't we just dive right into that? You guys have been looking into it. Who are we looking at uh, in terms of we're in the eighth spot, and you know who's on your mind? All right. Well, yeah. Well, let's uh, we'll hit them kind of briefly at the the top. The guys that are clearly not going to be there for us. Uh, there, there's Towns from Kentucky, just you know, great athletic big man who can shoot. Uh, has good size. Uh, there's Okafer, who seems for all the world to just be a larger version of Greg Monroe, uh, and you know, but but very skilled as a, as a freshman, very big. Uh, and then there's uh, Russell, the, the sort of point guard slash shooting guard from Ohio State, uh, had a great year and then just sort of fizzled in the the tournament. Uh, and then uh, Moutier, uh, the point guard who you know skipped college basketball and went to went to China, and uh, you know had a little bit of success but had an up and down year and. I didn't get to play all year because of injuries, uh, and then we sort of get into this range of maybe four four guys or but, so. But let's, the, there's some funny connections to the Pistons on the. There, there are yeah. So uh, late in the season, after he got injured, they had to bring in another player, and I, you know, in China, I think they have sort of rules on how many American players you can have, and so they basically deactivated him and uh, got Will Bynum, and, <laughs> and Bynum then took off like he had a great season. That's uh, awesome. So I don't know what that tells us about Chinese competition. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, people kind of go there to go out to pasture, so. Uh, the former NBA players, solid. Yeah, or make a million bucks instead of playing a freshman year in the NCAA. But oh, I don't yeah. blame I don't blame Moody for doing it. No. I'm just saying, yeah, it's it, it's hard to tell. We got to look at his tools, and but yeah, he's he's not available for us. Yeah, that, then we get into this range of you know I would say four to six guys. Is that about right, Zeke? Yeah, that sounds about right. You know who should some some combination of them will be available for us, and, and they all look like potentially talented players, all with uh, question marks. Uh, but luckily, all of them, I think, uh, in that range are going to be players that play positions where we could use them. And do you think that there's a chance that you wouldn't write off any anyone else from potentially falling to eight? Like, for example... Moutier might fall. He would be my, my guess. Okay. You think so? He, he's Because he's solidly number four on everybody's board. He's also got some red flags about his attitude, and there's so little information about him. Okay, so people are worried about... Um, uh, he who should not be named, or let's just name him Darko, situation where, you know, well-hyped, good athlete. Yeah. Just, I, I think he isn't a sure thing to me, anyway. Oh, so, so even he might, well, what about, like, Justice Winslow? He's listed at six on the hoops type one. Is that possible to be in fall. our, he could fall? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think once you get out of the top four, any of those guys could be available. But, you know, Zeke's right. I, I, the thing I think with the top of the draft is you need a team to fall in love with a player. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to say like, oh, this player is the fourth best player, but it's another thing to say some particular team needs to fall in love with him. You know, I, I don't see the Orlando Magic drafting Moutier. They they have two young guards that they like. You know, it has to be somebody that wants a power guard who can't shoot that well and has a limited experience is very young. And that's not a lot of teams. You know, we, we've got playoffs going on right now where, you know, they're led by star guards who can shoot really well. Um, he's not that guy. I see. So you have to have a team that... Is, has admitted that they're 
engaged in rebuilding. And yeah, and it'll be interesting to see the Knicks are at number four and you know, uh, Phil Jackson is one of the least enamored with the three point shot. You know, he had a lot of success with um, the likes of Ron Harper running the point um, for Chicago. Of course he did bring Steve Kerr off the bench um, uh, for those as well. But so you know, he could be a fit there, I guess, but, but he's more of a run a pick and roll. He, he's like a, a best case scenario is like a, um, a John Wall or a Derrick Rose type of situation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he falls past the Knicks, uh, Sacramento's a possibility to... They need a point guard so bad. They, they do, and... Uh, but would we, even, if he happened to fall on our lap, would we take him over, like, Stanley Johnson or something like that? <laughs> really? Yeah. So... That's amazing. That's interesting because a lot of people are so high on him. I'm I'm really surprised to to hear you say that. So talk about that more about like what it, since he's the only guy in the top four who could fall to us. Let's talk a little more about why you you wouldn't want him over you know one of the other guys that's more conventionally at, available at eight nine. It seems like if you're gonna take somebody that high, invest a, a top ten first round pick. Now let's step back for a second. A top ten first round pick is one of the most valuable assets in the NBA. And so if you're going to take a guy, you need to have a spot for him or be willing to build around him. Uh, Either one is fine, but he's a player who needs to have the ball in his hands and needs to be driving to the basket. And we've built all the pieces of a high pick-and-roll offense. We've got one of the best diving big men in the league. We now have a young point guard who can get him the ball and get out of the way and shoot at least a little bit. Uh, And if you bring him in, you've got to imagine, like, are we going to rebuild our system to fit his talents? And he seems like somebody that that's not worth doing. Well, we can at least not sign Jackson if we really wanted to get a guard. But still, we have a bird in the hand here, so we don't have to. Like, we have other positions that we really need to fill, especially the three spot and the four potentially. Yeah, we we it would free up Reggie Jackson's cap hold, which is probably not that much. So no, you know, it wouldn't benefit us that much. Now, now, what about this though? We, um, you know, Jackson is what twenty? He's going to be twenty five next year. Yeah. So he's going to be right. You know, in the middle or in the last couple of years of a point guard's peak in terms of athleticism and stuff, but he'll be still good at the end of a of a four year deal we sign him to, let's say. Um, and then a guy like Moutier would he, how old is he? He's like nineteen, right? I mean, he was in high school the year before last. So, so I mean, why wouldn't it make sense for us to have just like start Jackson for the first two years of his contract? Then, then if Moody turns out to be good, we can trade him or let them compete or play, try to figure out how to play him together. If one of them learns how to shoot in the meantime or whatever, like it's not. Look, I I don't want to fall into the habit that like Chad Ford of ESPN does, which is talk about needs like a guy's going to plug in and play thirty minutes for a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Rookies don't contribute to good teams, lots of minutes to really good teams. They t- it takes a while to learn how. We're talking about these guys in terms of projecting them a couple years forward. So uh, that's my long preamble. So let me just ask you: Would it make sense to just say Moutier, fifty-fifty chance he's our guy three years from now? But let's let's sign Jackson and take Moutier if he's available at eight. What, what do you guys think about that? Van Gundy doesn't have the patience for that. Okay, so we have something where it might be good for our team, or or it's not a good idea. Maybe my idea is bad, but like Van well, Gundy I, I, doesn't I'm have st- the time horizon. To I'm still excited about some of some of the guys. I guess specifically Stanley Johnson being able to make a contribution within his his uh, you know second year. Maybe I mean he's considered NBA ready in terms of being able to play defense at least, and he's I don't know. I I, I still like even even though you're right in practice, 
if people don't end up being good their rookie years, I just it's still more fun to feel like they're potentially a good fit. So if they have a breakout season and they're one of the th- four rookies that actually make a contribution uh, their first year, like sure, I don't know. To me, yeah, that, but that, like Kawhi Leonard didn't accomplish much in his first couple of years, and he's like a top five <laughs> asset right now. Yeah, because of how he developed. That's true. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, it is really worth something if a guy can contribute sooner, mm-hmm. but. Um, are, are any of these guys, you know, going to launch us into the conference finals next year? I don't know. Plus, it's hard, I think, to develop guys that way. I mean, that's why we have Reggie Jackson, is because they wanted him to play behind their point guard until he stopped being Russell Westbrook, and that didn't work, and he got disgruntled and left. So That's a good point. It's a risky thing to do with an 8-pick. Yeah, you have to have... that. That's true. People talked about how, with Kawhi Leonard, how he was coming into a culture of, like, sacrifice, and everybody was... Um, Everybody exhibits that right up to the star player, and the and uh, you can't get away with not doing that. You get traded if you don't do it. Um, I don't know if we've built that credibility to have a guy have, be that have that kind of patience. So okay, that's a fair point. But gosh, to have a guy who who people are comparing to Derrick Rose, um, just uh, on the draft board. I mean, geez, and and, well, and it's and the thing is, Drummond's not going to hit his peak for f- three to six years anyway like what the hell well, i don't know but i think it just speaks to the strength of the draft i mean i actually zeke i asked you earlier uh and you can maybe answer again about so last year we 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 kind of chalked up the fact that we got bumped out of the to the ninth spot unlucky because we lost our draft pick mm-hmm. uh but how do you compare this year's draft to last year's i mean it's just there's so much depth in this draft like my pet plan for the business is to trade down their pick actually because i think there's a lot of value later in the draft oh even uh, if we don't want to use the eighth pick but do you tell like just, um well yeah I, I can't think of a good example of that is there have there been examples of recent in recent history of someone doing that and getting a well the chicago traded up to get mcbuckets this last year who sat the bench the whole year yeah and they traded draft picks to denver that turned into uh yusuf nurkic who is looks like he could be awesome, a, a, a like impossibly large human being playing center. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was it, Gary Harris uh, from MSU, who mm-hmm. was a little bit of a bust. But maybe that shows you, like, you want to just you don't want to count on you know rolling a six if you're rolling a die. You want to roll three dice, especially it, with the the cap going up so much and rookies being so cheap. Like now's a good time to get some first round picks. So who has? So Boston wants to trade up. Yeah, I think we could get and there. They're at number sixteen. Yeah, and I was I I heard they wanted to trade up, so I looked. Oh, who do they have that we would want? They have Jared Sullinger, they have um, Tyler Zeller, and they have the number sixteen pick, and they have a bunch of future picks. Yeah, are you just thinking number sixteen and a future pick too? Um, they also have number twenty seven or twenty eight, and oh. number thirty three in this draft, and like three or four first round picks next year. So. I would want two first rounds or that first and the very early second this year. Not any other players. I don't think we yeah. need any other players. Yeah, I yeah, that's probably right. It, okay. That's interesting, yeah. Now who now they're dying to trade up to get Willie Cauley Stein, I think. Okay. So there's a if he falls to us, we could get a lot of value. But then if he falls to us, maybe we want to take him, <laughs> right? It um so, Willie, so let's talk about Willie Colley Stein next. Just we spent a lot of time on Moody. Colley Stein's in the mix in that five to ten. Anyway, so what, what's the what's the rundown on him? So Colley Stein's in the mix. Uh, he's been linked to teams sort of anywhere from five to maybe twelve. 
Um, he's, you know, big, athletic, uh, unusually played three years in college basketball at a, at a winning program. Uh, what's what's so intriguing about him is he is a consensus great defensive player. And it's so rare for a rookie to be good at defense. Like, that just doesn't happen. You, you talk about that all the time, Alex, especially yeah. especially big men. You know, they, they get in the league, and then they can't defend a pick and roll. They don't know where they need to be. They don't know how to move. And he's a player that, that, that Chad Ford called one of the top three perimeter defenders and the best post defender in college basketball. And he it's may amazing. be the, the best defensive player that has come out of college basketball in years. And and so I think that's great. But then when you look at him, I, I've seen a few indications that that on just a statistical analysis, which we know doesn't capture defense all that well. Yeah. And he's not a huge rebounder. He's not a huge shot blocker. Although last year he blocked almost three shots a game. This year he was playing, you know, sort of out of position, blocked fewer shots. Statistically, they have him as maybe the 22nd best prospect. And so I thought about that for a second. I said, wait a minute. If this is a player who everyone knows is, a, is the best possible defender, and you take that away and you say, What's the, what do the stats tell us? The stats tell us he's still the 22nd best he's prospect. He's still a first-round pick. He's still a first-round pick. Just, just dunking when he's wide open. Yes. Just being seven foot tall and being able to, to run and dunk and, you know, as it turns out, play exactly the kind of offense we play. But, but how does that complement Drummond? So it complements Drummond because it gives us somebody else who can play defense in the post. And as much as we all like Drummond, his post defense has not been a strength. No. Not, not yet. Hopefully it will become a strength. But, you know, in this last year, Van Gundy openly admitted that Greg Monroe was our best post defender. Uh, and Oof. That's faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so we immediately get somebody who could start alongside Drummond on the defensive end. And I, I think that's important. I mean, what, what coaches say all the time is, is you can play what you can defend. And that means he can play. He can get in the game and play even if he doesn't score any points. So then we have two big men who aren't strength and strong and scoring. It, it kind of messes up the idea of stretching the floor, having a shooter between one of those two guys. Th- things get real messy on the offensive end there, but... But how awesome would it be on defense to have two, not only two big men who can who can protect the rim, and you know Dr- Drummond can presumably learn to defend the post, but also two guys who can switch onto a guard and stay in front of him. I mean that that like Drummond was already awesome at that. It, er, earlier in his in his short career with us, he, um, when he was on a longer leash, I think, or we had a different defensive philosophy, he was blitzing out on pick and rolls, and he kept getting steals and getting breakaway dunks. That happened a lot less this last year, probably because we're playing um, a defensive scheme that makes a little more sense for us. But it, um, but it was really fun, and it really showed his long arms and athleticism. I mean, so if you think about adding another guy like that to our defense, yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. Just hearing hearing that he's a good defender and a limit on offense names that pop into my mind for last prospects on this uh, th- that were described that way are like Tyson Chandler. Kenyon Martin was the number one overall pick you know, of a really weak draft, basically on the strength of his defense at Cincinnati. Um, you know, the, that sounds pretty good. Ben Wallace was uh, an epic defender and an epically bad off- offensive player. Hopefully, Cauley Stein, you know, actually has fingers on the palms of his hands, so that, that would help him on offense. Uh, ben Wallace famously couldn't palm a basketball very well, <laughs> even though he was so, so big. And that shall we say, limited him on offense. Um, I don't know. I mean, are, are those comps that you're seeing or, th- or have thought of as you're looking? I, I think those are, are fair comps for him. Uh, I think DeAndre Jordan is another comp that sort of fits in that mold. And, you know, basically... Really? Is he, is he this, as athletic as, as Jordan? 
Uh, he seems to be among the most athletic players uh, out there. He didn't test at the combine. He was one of the top uh, prospects, and they didn't go through the athletic testing. But he's uh, seven foot tall, 240 pounds, and I think he tested at like a 6% body fat. So it's sort of like a Drummond clone, because Drummond is sort of like uh, Jordan. Like we, we, I mean, if he's at least, we hope he gets at least as good as Jordan, but we have hopes even beyond that. But Jordan is a max player. You know, he's one of the best defensive players in the league. So having like... I guess just maybe it would be kind of a throw. It'd be completely against the trends of the league to have like, you know, yeah, two DeAndre Jordans on your team essentially. Well, th- this brings up an idea about the how to build a team stuff, and I've heard Van Gundy say that you know you want to have you want to have options, you want to have flexibility, and so you know just because a guy's in your starting lineup does doesn't mean that that's how you play every single team, and so he could be part of a, of a roster where. We can play against big teams like Memphis, and we can have one big good defender on the floor at all times. Drummond rests, and a Collie Stein type of guy um, stays him. But when it makes sense to go small, you could make sure to have that guy on your roster too, and play. You know, maybe maybe an upgrade of Anthony Tolliver um, to 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 have a, a stretch the floor, or we need to have a spread offense against this particular team, and maybe Drummond and College Times minutes go down. Um, in that, I mean, we could do that, but gosh, to to play two guys who can only dunk and clog the lane on offense could just be really brutal. It, it could be tough. I mean, this this. But this, we're we're, ta- we're talking about him first, just because we think we, we if he if. We could trade down to this Boston. Boston right. really wants him, but do we? I mean, so, so yeah, we've given a pretty thorough evaluation <laughs> for what we know so far. Of would we want to have him on our team? So is so we've thought about. There's some pros and cons to having him. If he falls to us, would we rather have picks 16 and what 27? I think so. Yeah. Than than that, you think we would? I I would. Um, well, so who, I would at least consider it. So who, like, what types of guys are available? are slated to be available at 16 because none of the top like eight guys could possibly fall to 16. No, I don't think they're going to fall. And this is also taken with the assumption that Greg Monroe's gone because I'm hundred percent convinced he's gone. So we need a power forward. And if you look at the prospects between like 15 and 25, there are a lot of really interesting power forwards in this draft. You got Bobby Portis, who seems very pro ready, um, has a better jump shot than Monroe. I think he could step in and play. You got Frank Kaminsky in the mix, who seems like the perfect big to put into a Van Gundy offense. Um, really, Frank the Tank has uh, has enough going for him that because because he's he's seven feet tall, but the, you know he has the dinosaur arms. He was the only guy in the combine who had a shorter wingspan than his height. Mm-hmm. Um, he can shoot, and the and he he has that like first step where he could get by college big men, but or at least get into the lane and start doing a spin move and wheeling and dealing. Mm-hmm. Boy, it seems like that would get shut down in the pros. He looked pretty good against Okafor. <laughs> yeah, but Okafor, okay, that's that's fair enough. Um, he'd, he'd be a pretty good value pick potentially. And I he, wouldn't want him. And eight, he but... he had a PER of thirty five. Yeah, I mean that's that's like Michael Jordan never had one that good in the pros. Let's just say so that you know he's not as good as Michael Jordan or even close, but. That just shows the level of production. And he played. Four, he played this four years. Yeah. So I mean, so he would be more productive coming yeah, in yeah. as a rookie, most likely. Cool. Um, you got him. I really like Christian Wood. Like, um, if you watch any of his videos, he looks like Giannis. If you really like, scale him up to be actually power forward size, but he does the like Euro step layup from three point line, 
Wow. I, I actually, so he was off my radar. Christian Lloyd, where's, is he? He's going to be at the bottom of that. Yeah, he's yeah, a power nice. forward uh, center from UNLV that uh, has a little bit of a reputation of perhaps being a knucklehead or perhaps being a little bit hard to coach. He, he also, in, in the same token, will take the sort of Josh Smith-esque uh, heat check shots from three, four feet behind the line, well covered. Uh, so, you know, it's it's the good with the bad. Okay. But, you know, uh, a guy who you, you take a chance on based on... Uh, okay. So so who else might be there at eight who we would have to think about um, taking? Um, you know, so there are a couple small forwards, Justice Winslow, Stanley Johnson, and Mario Hezonia, the Croatian guy from Montenegro. So, so there are, there's a collection of small forwards and, you know, I, and I think Carl, you are as well high on Stanley Johnson. Mm-hmm. My, my sort of note of caution with these guys is that, um, I don't think they're as good as shooters as we think they are. I think we're making some assumptions about the quality of shooting that is coming out of the, the, the wing position this year in particular. And so I, I and I ran into this and I, I gave Zeke this puzzle. I'll give you guys the same one of the, of the people projected in the top 10 this year. Who's the best free throw shooter? Huh. I have no idea. Let me think about that. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, as I would guess. It's Towns. Really? It's none of the wings. None of them. Well, what, I mean... And, and Towns was like an 84% free throw shooter. That's not a crazy high number. That Well, that might be in the top 10 in the NBA this year. I mean, or No, it wouldn't get him into the top 10. Okay, but, I mean, top it, 25. It would, it would certainly get him in the top 10 for big men. It's, it's a great number for big men. But when you look at these guys and you drill down, I mean, some of them did okay shooting the college three, but the sample size is pretty small. We're, we're hearing that, you know, uh, the college three-point uh, numbers don't project as well to the pros as some other things. And when you look at free throw shooting, these guys all have sort of question marks. I mean, they're, they're, some of these guys are mid-70s, but Winslow, I think, was a mid-60s free throw shooter. Mm. And, you know, at some point you just wonder, you know, are we convincing ourselves that these guys can come in and be 3 and D guys? And the evidence may not be as strong. I think they can still be good basketball players. But if we have dreams of that ideal 3 and D guy, they may not be the the right fit. On the other hand, hitting a wide-open three-pointer is one of the skills that guys consistently can add by their fifth year in the league if they practice it. You know, Jason Kidd turned into a knockdown wide-open three-point shooter, and he was famously a bad shooter from, from everywhere on the floor. But... I think I take your point that that's what we would be counting on is a guy, you know, by the time we're ready to sign him to his pro, his vet contract, not his rookie contract, has he put in the work to, you know, be a Tabo Cephalosha level wide open three point shooter, you know, passable now so that the defense doesn't just leave him alone completely. Okay. That that's a fair point. Um, now Winslow people were pretty high on and, and, Right after the tournament, because he did very well in the tournament with lots of steals and blocks and all that stuff, you know, I, I heard, I think Bill Simmons on a podcast say, well, I mean, are we sure he's not the number one prospect? And people saying, I don't know, maybe he is. Now the, the, um, is he actually the, a three? Is, would he play three though? He, I think he's definitely a small forward. He it just, he's got the, he could play shooting guard, but he's got the athletic, the, the frame to play small forward. Okay. Do you guys agree with that? He's one of the smaller threes at the top of this year's draft. He's not so small that it would be unprecedented for him to play the three, but you know he's he's just tipping in at, at six five. I, his wingspan wasn't as enormous as people thought it would be. Uh, he would be a really good size 
shooting guard. So let's say so let's say both he and Stanley Johnson were available somehow. Uh, who would you take? With with what we know right now, I would probably lean towards Johnson. Um, but you know that's more of a fit for the Pistons. I think Johnson of the two is a better shooter. Uh, Johnson has some some question marks about his game, but basically Winslow played at Duke uh, latter half of the year when he exploded. When everybody started talking about him, he was playing power forward in college. And he was going against guys who were completely outmatched. And all he had to do was defend them on the defensive end, which is, that's great that he could defend college power forwards, but he's not going to be defending power forwards in the pros, and he's not going to be playing against power forwards. So I think there's a legitimate question as to whether his numbers were sort of inflated by the system. And, you know, there's always the Duke aura of the players and everything else. So um, Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I know very little about many of the prospects. I just happened to see Stanley Johnson torch Michigan when we played Arizona. And he just was, just looked like he was playing. It was like you know, like he was playing at at the Y against like inferior athletes or something. Like he just was could could just tank. He could just bowl his way through, almost like a football player, kind of like LeBron esque. And then he also seemed like he didn't take many bad shots, and he, he could play really good defense. And but then again, this is that's just like one game I saw, and uh, the fact that the fact that he happened to be falling into our potentially into our lap, and he hits the right position, this feels. Exciting, and and you know again talking about fits for this year, like you know the we're not going to be any good if we're starting a, a a rookie anyway. Like we should or or playing him you know over twenty five minutes or something like that. And maybe we should start him to develop him, um, and maybe we're just not going to be a you know past the first round of the playoffs team anyway. We have a lot of cap room, so there's a lot to talk about. Maybe we could get much better quickly. Um, but talking about shooting and talking about power forwards, what about this? Uh, was this Latvian? Is that where he's from? Latvia. Kristaps yeah. uh, Porzingis is um, it, that is a real name we checked, and he so what he's he, he's six eleven. He weighs like two hundred and something teen pounds. The video, the the highlights of him look like he runs around screens like a like like he's JJ Redick and is hitting jump shots, and he blocks shots in the Euro League, which. At least shows that he is springy and can use his height to his advantage. So we're not talking about an Andrea Bargnani clone, uh, the the other seven foot European good shooting you know guy. And my my uh, Channing Fry is another guy who comes to mind. But also we're talking about a guy who probably like Draymond Green could stand in front of him and completely stop him from even getting the ball, even though he's um, what five inches shorter or something, something like that. Although Draymond Green was doing that to a lot of people this year, so that's a bad example. So that's so I don't know what to think about this guy. Have you guys delved a little deeper? Uh, can can he can he get minutes in in the NBA with his frame? I mean, next year, no. But I mean, with a guy like that, you hope that he comes in, he develops, he uh, you know builds some strength. He he seems to be an uncommonly good shooter. Although we're seeing a lot of bigs this year that can shoot. And the, and the combination of guys who can shoot and block shots is something that's popped up this year for, I think, perhaps the first time. We've got, I think, three guys in the draft between him, Miles Turner, center from Texas, and Christian Wood from UNLV. Uh, and I guess you could add Towns to the mix, who can all legitimately shoot three-point shots and block shots. and College three. Co- college threes. But, but I don't know of guys in the pros right now who can do that. I mean, Abaka has sort of developed that as part of his game. Yeah. But the list of guys who can both shoot threes and block shots is very short. 
And so, you know, at some point you wonder, are these sort of transformational talents and how do we evaluate them? Or are, is it just sort of a quirk that we're going to see a lot of these guys from now on? Yeah. And uh, before we started recording, uh, you, you guys mentioned that the, you know, the idea of having a big man being uh, super useful to have him be able to shoot has filtered down to the developmental level now where um, we're seeing teams shoot a lot more threes uh, among, you know, little kids. And so maybe that's what's happened is is uh, the guys like Carl Anthony Towns have, have taken the time to develop a jump shot. We used to say uh, about a guy like that, like, oh, you know, he just needs to play within himself, and, and he, he needs to worry about being a big man first, and then develop, and then add, you know, adding a little fifteen footer. Maybe he could, should do that later. We so, we heard that people say that about Blake Griffin this year, um, where he always oh, shooting too many mid range jumpers and. I would, in my mind, in hindsight, it's clear that what he was doing is just getting the reps and making sure he was comfortable for when the when the the time came, and also saving his body a little bit. And then when he got into the playoffs, then he laid it all on the line and attacked the basket and so forth. But so you know, anyway, uh, I went in a few different directions on that. But I, I thought that was a good theory you had that uh, that um, we might just be seeing more of this because. You know, coaches at the younger level are being a little less traditional and allowing their big men to step away from the basket and shoot it a little bit more. Alex, I think that's a good point, and, and it brings up something that I think we, we need to keep in mind. And basically, what you need out of a rookie is somebody who will get better because none of these guys are good enough right now. So, the most important thing they're trying to project is okay, who's going to put in the work? Who's going to put in the time? And I think an important element is who can actually get playing time so that they can do all those things. And because if you can't get playing time, it's hard to develop in the NBA. And so you need somebody who's good enough to get some playing time and is willing to put in the work to improve the skills. And, and those things, you know, largely don't seem to be measured by the stats uh, when you've got one year of data on a guy. Yeah. And, and, and Alex, to your point about not drafting for what our needs are right now, does that sort of mean that we just should almost ignore our current roster? Or would we even be thinking about, like, the fact that we might lose Monroe means we, or probably will, means we really need a four and a three right now. But if the best player available is a center or a, a shooting guard, we say, screw it, screw it, we just take them anyway because they're just going to be, you know, developing on our bench for a couple of years and hopefully turning into a star. And, and by then, if we have a contention at that position, then, hey, we, have another, we, we trade one of the assets. I wouldn't go that far. I would say that Drummond is taking up the slot of, like, big men who we're trying to develop. Um, into a starting center who's an, who makes an all-star team in a few years. And we, we really don't have much more capacity to add a guy like that. We, the only reason we were talking so much about Willie Cauley-Stein is we were thinking he could play at the power, a power forward position. Again, a position you can guard is a position you can play. But I would go so far as to say if there's, if there's somebody we could take who could back up an existing veteran, that's not a bad idea. And that's how Kawhi Leonard developed on the, on the Spurs. Um, and you don't have to have a guy step right into your starting lineup. You can have him step into your starting lineup and, and just take a couple years and be a developing team, meaning a team that barely or doesn't make the playoffs. Um, but so, so it's sort of in the middle. It's like, you don't have to be like Chad Ford and say, Oh, this is, this is a guy who can just step in right away. And, uh, boy, they'll just have quite a, quite the young core. Then they'll be a title contender. You know, um, you know, that's, that's not quite fair to Chad Ford. He doesn't, say that last part but but he really does talk about as though like oh he just slots right in and boom now they're a complete team so you know i wouldn't i i wouldn't hesitate 
as much as maybe you guys would to take a 19-year-old point guard if he can develop, even with a 25-year-old point guard on the roster. But I would hesitate to take a rookie center because we have a 22-year-old center on the roster who is our guy. To, to be fair, we have two 25-year-old point guards on the roster. Okay. Well, <laughs> and, and, I mean, and also a 21-year-old point guard. Yeah. And and and, and Dinwiddie mean, actually seems like he could... Uh, he he could be. I think this year he at least extended his horizons a little bit longer. Like I'm not the, the jury's still out, but it's not it's not decided either way. Which means it's also not decided that he sucks. And and he's uh, you know he, he he seems like the kind of guy who could play good defense and also de- you know, he, he was a really good three point shooter in college and he could bring that into the NBA. He's got size, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I, I kind of I'm a Dinwiddie fan, uh, especially with the stash. Yeah, the stash, man. So, well, so you, you mentioned the other 25-year-old point guard. So how should we think about Brandon Jennings? I, I've been thinking about him like he's just gone. I mean, he's gonna he might come back and be ahead of schedule like they're saying in the news and so forth and be 80% of his self this year and so forth, but he's just not part of the long-term plan because he doesn't do pick and roll as well as Reggie Jackson. His contract's up after this year, um, you know, but am I should should I just think about him as gone? Like maybe he'll get some minutes this year, but uh, let's not put too much time into thinking about him. What do you guys think about? It? So I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, Zeke uh, follows the sort of uh, uh, social media of the players, and uh, it seems like Jennings is uh, as tapped in as anybody in this off season. Yeah, like I, that's what I was telling him. That's why I think Monroe is going to be gone. Is there was an exchange between uh, Drummond. And Reggie Jackson about how the two of them and KCP are like going to take the league by storm. They're the, they're the young. They're bringing it out. And then an hour later, Drummond says, "Oh yeah, and don't forget about Brandon Jennings. <laughs> no mention of Monroe at all. Not a part of the team. Even the guy who can't walk yet." <laughs> yeah, and huh. you know, it seems like he genuinely likes being here. He likes being with Van Gundy. He likes this group of guys. And you know, to to your point, Alex, in the past, that you know, do we have a top ten point guard on the roster? No, we don't really have a top 10 point guard. We probably have two median point guards right now. Uh, but they're young. They could get better. But in Jennings' case, he's in that weird sort of uh, turning point in his career where maybe this is when he sort of turns into that six-man role. And if he's willing to be in that role, and he's willing to be the guy coming off the bench and our, our offense guy, with the cap exploding, he could be a guy that next year you could sign to a, a five-year, $40 million deal that gives him all the financial security he needs and gives us a backup point guard who we're paying the equivalent of about a mid-level deal to this year. Well, he, I, I mean, I think if, yeah, if, if this year he can come back and show that he's going to be able to come back from his injury at at least 90% of what he was this, this year, this year before he got injured, uh, he was the story of our team. He was the guy who started playing like an all-star and was bringing us towards a top five level uh, offense. And, and uh, it, that's, that's gone now. Uh, but so if, if by the end of this year he's showing that he could come back by the next year and be a backup, then it would be worth signing him because th- this is the year we have to decide to sign him. Uh, yeah. So that is a good point. Like he's still around and, and it'll be he'll be in play for sure. And it's also if if Jackson if we do sign Jackson and he ends up being disappointing, that gives us more. It gives us more options. And and uh, since Jennings does have shooting as a skill, he's not a knockdown like forty percent level shooter, but he can create shots and get. You know, get separation and take a three that he can make at thirty-four percent or something, which is really useful. Um, you don't want to have that be your whole offense. He he could definitely play that role. You know, what in addition to financial security, that long-term deal would give him 
uh, really a reputational rehab because he he came in as a really young player and was very confident and he's from LA and you know had that 50 point game really early in his career and you know he he's probably one step away from getting a reputation as being a cancer if and but he so he's really been playing the like I'm just going to do whatever Van Gundy tells me not really complaining very much um type of role and so you know, if he just plays five more years for the Pistons and integrates into our system, I think people remember him differently. You know, one one um, you t- said t- stepping into that six man role. I, I a couple of weeks ago I looked into like uh, um, a comp I was thinking of. Maybe he could have a Jason Terry like career. Jason Terry was a starting point guard for Atlanta early in his career, and then went to Dallas and came off the bench for a championship team, and has been like the veteran. Um, you know, uh, what are the irrational confidence guys? The Bill Simmons phrase mm-hmm. off the bench, like our, or like a Vinnie Johnson, more for yeah. Pistons fans, where you come in, you know, you're you're undersized to play the shooting guard, but you know everybody in the second unit sucks anyway, and so you can just come in and 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 heat it up. Jamal Crawford played that role for the Clippers. Sadly, they relied on him too much and they got eliminated. But you know, he he has that type of potential to play either position off the bench against second units and. You know, he has an NBA skill, getting separation and making a reasonable percentage. Um, what do you guys think about that as a comp? I mean, Terry always had a slightly higher three-point percentage than than um, Jennings did, but Jennings isn't bad. I think it's a fair comp. Jennings has a lot of offensive talent, and one of the things that the team is going to be really, really weak on is offensive talent if we lose Greg Monroe. Yep. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, maybe one guy on our team who could otherwise take like a group of, you know, pickup guys and, and win every game at the gym. And, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, it's something that's just going to be hard for us to, to overcome unless we have some more guys who can come in and just play basketball. Yeah. I mean, K- KCP works really hard and he was a big time scorer in college, but he just doesn't project to be um, a guy you run your offense through. He, to me, you know, he, he seems like he could max out at, like, what J.J. Redick contributed to the to the Clippers this year. Running around, making your guy tired. And J.J. Redick was, like, not a big-time scorer. He was the national player of the year in college. Um, and is a, probably a better natural shooter, but, too. But, I don't know, if you, take the, if you take the aggression of Jackson, I mean, he certainly will, he can be our leading usage. Uh, the question is, can he justify it? And, and if Drummond develops... It kind of plays like post All Star Drummond and is getting like seventeen points, fourteen boards a game this year. You know, kind of can start using some of our offense. And you have KCP and Meeks being really solid at the shooting guard, who, who can get, you know you carry their weight efficiently. Um, it doesn't feel like we're we're that bad off. And and that stretch towards the end of the season where uh, where Monroe was injured, uh, I don't think we were better without him, but we, we weren't we weren't terrible without him. Uh, so I don't know. I I don't feel like we're totally screwed. I mean, at, at least if, if nothing else, Jackson is a guy who is comfortable leading the offense. The question is, is he efficient enough to do so? It won't be the case where we have no one who's willing to take a shot. And and that's useful because I mean, some of the painful years we've had the past few years, it's just like we just keep passing the ball around until Josh Smith takes a shot. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I, I don't feel that bad about it from that perspective. Um, I'm I, the the thing to me that's really hard to think to really gauge when, when thinking about the draft and the offseason is the combination of it, are we really comparing stuff for this next year? Uh, would we do we even know 
do we have plans about who's available at the three and the four this year? Right. I mean, we really need a three and we really need a four to play this year. So we probably need to make moves to get them regardless of who we draft. Yeah, and that's the the reason we can't really be more definitive is that we've got the draft on the one hand, free agency on the other hand. I mean, if we go into free agency and we give a guy like Chris Middleton a max contract, we could probably get him. And if we do, do we want to draft Stanley Johnson so that we can have you know the twenty three year old that we just gave a max contract to and the eighteen year old who's backing him up? You know, it's we really need a cohesive plan going in. That, that's true. So, so why not, maybe we could end uh, by just thinking about. Um, an inventory of our assets, and then what what are our goals, or what are the possibilities based on what we've seen, you know, watching some good basketball in the playoffs, and what Ben Gundy's philosophy has been. I think in the big picture, our assets in this offseason are, uh, if Monroe is gone, something like thirty million dollars in salary cap space, um, and we have a, a number eight pick that we could use on a asset or or trade for more assets, and We've got Stan Van Gundy as a coach, which means that players might, um, who have many options, might consider coming here, whereas they would not have considered taking our money uh, in the past. It's he's not Pat Riley, but he's you know he he has some respect, and people probably like the way he's handled things here. Um, and we've got uh, the Andre Drummond to to play with. So if a guy if a power forward comes, he knows that he's not going to be playing out of position at center. He knows he's not going to be banging with the largest mammal on the other team. Um, and so that's what we've got going for us. And we need to cobble that together into, uh, for God's sakes, a team that, that makes the playoffs solidly. So, what, I mean, what are we going to do with all In this? In the Eastern Conference, which should be a, yeah. a real achievable goal, I feel like. The Eastern Conference should be one of our, you know, benefits that we have like that's yeah. that's like a sixth well, thing on your list people people keep saying that but if that were true then the eastern conference wouldn't be worse because players would sign with the eastern conference teams i'm just from a kind of an economics perspective like there must be something wrong with that theory since it hasn't equal i think it, i think it just goes back and forth i mean you know the heat won back to back and but I mean, just like the the sixth best team in each conference should be over a 20 year period you know I don't know, but the the East has been worse for in terms of like that team that marginally makes the playoffs for for a while. Yeah. But yeah, so so what are we up to this off season? With, the, with do we have other assets? I didn't think of. I, I mean, I think the other asset we have is is Greg Monroe on a sign and trade. That that's you know, right. I, I think that given the the cap going up, there's no such thing as a max contract this year. Greg Monroe is a guy who I think arguably for the right team at the right time is worth a full complete. No caveat max contract. This year, the best you can do is give somebody an 80% max contract because of how the cap's going up. There's going to be a line of teams that would be willing to give him a five-year deal. And just to be clear, what you mean by 80% max contract is uh, a contract that meets the technical definition of a max contract, but it's it's going to be only as costly a couple years from now to the team as something that's 80% of the max now. So in other words, um, you're buying max players with a coupon this year. Yeah, at the end of the contract, it'll be like sixty percent of a max contract. At the beginning, it'll be like a max contract. Average it out, it's like a you know eighty percent max. Yep. But you know, I'd like to see them figure out how to trade Greg Monroe to a team. And 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 my favorite my favorite Greg Monroe sign and trade right now is Greg Monroe to Milwaukee for Chris Middleton sign and trade. That we flip those guys to each other because 
Milwaukee has three small forwards right now, and they're all about 20 years old. They're all going to be playing the same position in a few years. What they don't have is a center. Yep. And and he could fit with them, fit with them age-wise. Uh, they get to, to get an asset, and there's no way Greg Monroe's going to Milwaukee if he's not getting paid lots and lots of money. <laughs> and, and they've got Henson to, to be the rim protector next to Monroe. That kind of works. If we could figure out a way to get Ilya Sova, too, he's on a reasonable contract and can hit threes and rebound. Um, but the... the Okay. The, yeah. my, my, my favorite sign and trade for Monroe is if um, LaMarcus Aldridge leaves Portland and Portland wants to just slot Monroe in next to Robin Lopez. And if they're not enamored with Nick Batum, Batum would fit in perfectly with our team as a, a guy who has elite sort of passing and rebounding for the small forward position. He can hit an open shot. When he's motivated, he can defend. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if you, you guys like him as much as I do. I mean, Aldridge is great. I just think the question is, would he? Does he have the power to block that? Would he? I mean, well, he, I, I, well this is a scenario where first step, Aldridge blows off Portland and goes and signs with Dallas or Houston and, and, or San Antonio, and then Portland's left holding their dick, and uh, then then they have a lot of salary cap spot and uh, salary cap space, I and see. they want to build their team. They have Dame. So, so, so we're not getting Aldridge in that scenario. We're, we're, we're not. We're, we're getting some of their assets. We're, yeah. we're we're giving them Monroe. And then they give some assets back. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think in uh, Alex's analogy, we're getting their dick. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe you're not as high on Nick Batum as I am. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So, so we need a plan. And something like what Charles said where we, we, we leverage one of our assets into a, a, a good wing player. Um, other things, uh, you know, another use of our salary cap space, we can either sign players – or we can take back salary from other teams. And so that would allow things like um, a team just gives us a player or we have an unbalanced trade, like we get Taj Gibson from Chicago for Jody Meeks, where we take on $2 million more of salary and we get a, 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 good, a good player. Maybe he fits, maybe he doesn't, but it's a, just an example. Or, you know, Golden State wants to stay away from the luxury tax line and they give us David Lee. David Lee's terrible contract. And uh, but a good prospect like Harrison Barnes, who could play, who is starting at small forward for the best team in ten years um, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, may, maybe those examples aren't aren't our best options, or maybe they're not available to us. But it it shows you we, that cap room gives us some flexibility, other than just like let's just sign whoever will take us, even if it's Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva. Yeah, and. One other small thing at play of recent is, is Josh Smith's uh, contract. Like, he's playing well enough for the Rockets, I mean, maybe not last game, where they might sign him to a $5 million a year, $8 million a year contract, and that'll ease the burden of what we owe him. Yep, That's not going to make a huge difference, but that is a part of our asset uh, kind of analysis here. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so uh, Zeke is a big fan of trading down in the draft, so we have a couple more draft picks um so that those will fill salary cap slots for cheap so we have more of our cap to um to use on players i mean i mean what what should we be going after you know people think about okay well van gundy sort of invented the ryan anderson at power forward next to dwight howard in orlando offense that everyone uses now um do we have to get a big man who can shoot or can we get a big man who's just good and then have the anthony tolliver type player off the bench for when it's, you know, is that our off-speed pitch that we don't use as our main pitch, you know? Uh, 
I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on that just from watching watching the the, the really great teams battle each other these last couple of weeks? So, uh, w- without going too much into you know all of the free agents that are out there and available, uh, it does seem like we need to get more shooting. Uh, I think the question that we're going to have to wrestle with is how old a player are we willing to stomach bringing in to get it? Because there are going to be players out there that can do exactly what we need. And we have to decide, are we going to bring those players in or are we going to pass them by for younger people? You know, uh, Paul Millsap on paper is exactly the player we need. Yep. He can play the position we need. He can shoot well. He's got a high basketball IQ. Good defender. He's a good defender. Uh, and are we going to look at him and say, you know, I, I don't want to spend my money on a guy that's that old. He's 30 years old this year. So if we sign him to a four-year deal, potentially the end of that contract would be a, um, close to dead salary cap space right during Andre Drummond's prime. I mean, let's just be clear about what we're talking about at stake here. It, it is. And, you know, I think that we have to look at the track record of Van Gundy and, and look at who he signed last year and who he traded for and who he brought in. I don't think he's afraid of older veterans. I think that we have to resign ourselves to the fact that there's going to be somebody on the team next year in a major role, being paid major dollars, who's 30 years old. I, I think you're right. And at, just adding, to, amplifying that point, Van Gundy signed a five-year deal to be our president and GM and coach, or he he hired a GM to help him out. Well, uh, and, he, and he said he promised his wife he wouldn't coach again after that, like he's retiring after that. So um, other than just like looking like a jerk, he doesn't care how good we are two years after he's gone, right when Andre Drummond's heading his peak. So, you know, we, we, we really could see a lot of, like, let's, throw, let's push all our chips into the table these next couple of years. Because we've had, the, this last year was, what, year one, right? And, and, okay, we got this next season and three more after. So the contracts he signs this year are going to end right when he's out the door. Well, and, and 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 signing someone to like a thirty-year-old to a, to a max deal right now that feels like oh we're going to have dead weight in the fourth year. This is we're kind of getting at a discount of like thirty forty percent given the the cap going up. Wow, to maybe so. Maybe this is the time to do it. Good point. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll throw out one name for you, and this is the one that I think aggravates Zeke the most when I bring it up. <laughs> There's a little backstory, but uh, uh, Lou Aldang has a player option. He can, he can opt out of his contract. People think maybe he will, especially if people throw money around the way they might. Uh, he plays the three. He's, he is a lights-out corner three-point shooter, 50-plus percent from both corners. I did and, not know that. Wow. Yeah. He's also uh, a great defender in large part because of the reputation he built playing for Tom Thibodeau in Chicago. Thibodeau is a Jeff Van Gundy disciple. And so you've got essentially the Van Gundy family clan of coaches, uh, the player who came out and was a longtime favorite of Thibodeau's, He's in Miami where people don't seem to like him all that much. He can opt out. Would it be that weird for us to give him four years, $40 million, to come in and instantly be our starting small forward? We would be a much better team last year if we'd had him. This next year will be a better team than anyone we can draft. Oh, gosh. God, he, speaking of Thibodeau, though, he really just ran dang into the ground. He was playing like 42 minutes, 48 minutes regularly uh, in his last years. And How many... How much tread does he have left on the tires? He even if he doesn't opt out, though, he's a prime candidate for um, somebody trading him into our salary cap space. Yeah, I think he. What does he have? One year, like ten and a half mil left. So he probably want to opt out if he if he get a long contract. But even if he doesn't want to opt out, Miami is probably motivated to to move him. So, but Zeke, why does that 
give you so much pause. I just don't like Luol Deng. I think he has zero tread left on his tires. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I actually sort of lost track. How how was his production this last year? I, I don't really recall. I don't know. It, it was decent. I mean, if you, if you liked Batum in, in Portland, you'd like Luol Deng. Well, Batum had a bad year. Um, and and, and old and worn out. <laughs> and, and, and had some injury problems. Uh, so he would be taking a chance. But he, you know, he's the right size and has the skill set. That's it, you know. Yeah, Deng Deng's an interesting uh, choice for sure. Think of it this way: uh, look at what two weeks in Miami did for uh, LeBron James. You know, and Luol got a whole season down there. He should be great. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, whatever happens in Miami. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Fountain of Youth. That's that's where Ponce de Leon looked for the Fountain of Youth, right? It Maybe must be like, down there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so that's that's what we've. Got in our pocket. That that's what we're coming into this off season, uh, looking at. Over the next couple months, we're going to have the draft and free agency start. So um, we'll probably we're going to have a lot to talk about. These so next what is the months. what is the order of the draft and free agency? Is there a chance that some things will happen in free agency before the draft, or no? Is that, it's all it's the drafts. The twenty sixth. The drafts first. Okay. Next week. Draft June, free agency. Drafts June twenty sixth. Yeah, the week. Yeah, okay. So it'll probably be worth talking again when, when something has happened when, we, when we've drafted someone or maybe we've made a move and kind of anal- analyzing it. But um, and, and w- there will be more uh, tea leaves and goat entrails thrown down that we can read re- <laughs> read in the uh, Roman tradition. So yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. I think. You, it, we haven't had an off season like this where we just had so many assets, and and uh, you know we we've we've got a foundation built and we we got to pull the trigger on some stuff. We're not building for the future anymore. This is it. We're going to shoot our bolt this year, this off season, and uh, and hopefully it won't be the famously bad bolt from yesteryear of uh, Charlie V and and Gordon. Yep. But all right. Well, on that note, thanks again to the Burhan Bros for stopping by and. Uh, Thanks to our listeners. I think we can confidently say it's plural now, listeners. And uh, actually, our NBA, I think NBA Reddit, uh, the, I mean, the Detroit Pistons Reddit uh, page has been, we get double-digit upvotes every time we post it. So uh, thanks, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.